Welcome to the 5 Phenomenon Podcast. I am your host, Shane Hazen, with me again, Ted Heatcraft. It's me. Um, Heycraft. Ted as mentioned, Heycraft. did I say it wrong? No, I was just Heycraft. Wildcat. Ted Heycraft. Wildcat. Uh, on this episode, we are discussing Honor Majesty's Secret Service uh, in lieu of No Time to Die, which I mentioned on last episode, I was really taken with. And I'm going to do a first that you you prompted me to do. Oh, you already talked about it last uh no, no. I said I'm going to talk about it on this episode. Oh, okay. I, I, I did I did compartmentalize and move it back. Got it. But it, I, spoiler warnings have been kind of something I haven't been figured out exactly and to a certain extent I haven't given a shit about. I am going to give a full-blown spoiler warning on this episode for No Time to Die. If you not, have not seen the newest James Bond film... Go see it and then come back to listen to this podcast because that's a big reason we're doing Honor Majesty's Secret Service. And I think I would say spoiler alert on OHMSS. Just don't come. come. Well, I think it should be. We we pick older movies that the statute of limitations have passed. So it's like if you. you, I I don't need to tell you what happened at the end of Empire Strikes Back, you know? (laughs) Hope you you would hope not. But uh, we we watched No Time to Die together. (laughs) Uh, I think I embarrassed myself, didn't I? I don't think you embarrassed yourself, but you, I, wait, did you get tell I was crying at the end? You, oh, well, I was crying at the end, oh. but I, I wasn't as, I wasn't as, as you were kind of a mess. Though. Yeah, I was. I, I wouldn't was. say embarrassed, but you were just really the ending of it. Really, it the, these two movies, I'm surprised how paired they are together. We were talking beforehand. You said both of these have more Easter eggs than any other Bond movie, but also, um, I think these are the two most emotional Bond movies. Oh well, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, very emotional. I mean, so where do we want to start? I mean, or are, are you going to guide me here? Because I could. Uh, do we want to talk? Well, about- let's let's talk about. Um, I guess because the only movie you really watched this week, which was last week, was No Time to Die. Uh, new, new wise, new movie. Uh, the one movie I saw. Have you ever heard of Red Sun? Have you seen it? You talk about the uh- Terrence Young. Oh yeah, well, what made you watch that? It was on TCM. I had no clue this movie existed, and suddenly I'm flipping through, and there's a freaking movie with with uh, Charles Bronson. Charles Bronson, probably it's, it's 70, 71, I think. Yeah, Alan Delon. So no, 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 no with the, with the roll it out properly. This is this is Charles Bronson right after Once Upon a Time in the West, I assume, or yes. pretty close yeah. after. Um, the movie opens with him at a train station. He has a little more dialogue than he does yeah. in Once Upon a Time in the West, but it doesn't just have him. It has Alan Delon. Um, kind of, I don't know, three years after Le Samurai. Um, I don't know. I think I think that's yeah, sixty-seven. I, I, yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, that's I mean, right. no, no. That, that's I think it's earlier than yeah, that, probably. But the craziest one that's Toshiro Mifune, basically coming straight out of a samurai film right. into this. Right. I, I what? Uh, how have I never heard of this movie? It's well, directed because, by Terrence Young. It's a, yeah. Uh, and uh, Urs Landris, who is in the Doctor No, who Terrence Young directed. She takes forever to get into the movie, but yeah. yeah. So yeah, well that's interesting. I, I'm. Uh, so what did you think? Um, the rep- I, it, reputation is kind of like it. it I, I I get it. it it's it, it was fun. It was great it, fun. Yeah. No, no, it was a lot of fun. But yeah. it was also Terrence Young. I kind of was. Tr- I was trying to pin exactly what type of humor. I would do, and as we're going to go into the Bond talk, Guy Hamilton has the more infamous what he did with Bond humor, and Terrence Young was the more drier one. Maybe not Peter Hunt dry, but but that was the kind of sense of humor I thought that was throughout the movie. Charles Bronson is got a lot of dialogue in the movie, so he's like everyone else around him is not talking. Which um, for someone who watches Once Upon a Time in the West as much as I do, 
that seems striking. But oh, I mean, yeah. and maybe not being as big. Well, a you probably player. have a lot of Charles Bronson films to watch, or, or I don't know if you, you want to take the time to watch them all. But uh, you probably haven't seen that many, have you? I've seen a few. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Majestic's a really is a favorite. Okay. Yeah, I've seen I've seen a few, maybe not a lot, okay. but well, you know, like I said, I think you know, in some ways, um, I just picked up uh, The Wrath of Man today on Blu-ray, and I, and uh, Jason Statham. Yeah, the, I, you, you we we, tell, we I, talked about this a lot. You think Jason Statham is the modern Bronson? Sort of a and then the, and the way the only reason I say that is that uh, unfortunately Bronson just was a workaholic, so there's a lot of like okay films, but and he's in the right film, the right script, the right director. He's great, and so is Jason, I think. So, I guess I I, I like your analogy just because like I, like what movies is Bronson a great actor in because he always seems like a great attitude well i mean and presence well that's you know that's your definition of acting is you know it's clint eastwood acting is gary cooper acting you know uh, uh john wayne i mean he's in that kind of mode you know yeah, okay uh, no, that, uh, I, I, yeah. and so like you got him in the hard times with walter hill and, uh and uh james coburn bouncing off of coburn and it's and he's great but yeah he he's a pullback guy you know he sucks energy and almost and Instead of, uh, Sucks energy. That's a that's a good description. Uh, but that it was Bond related. Um, that yeah, was, yeah. That was, well, it's interesting because it's been on the radar from some friends. Uh, a comic writer friend of mine reviewed it on his Facebook, Chuck Dixon, and he uh, people were like, "Oh yeah, well, it's kind of hard to find. It's kind of a hard find a copy to find a good copy of that." I so, I, I just the stars. You just, I just went through and like, how have I never heard of this? Well, movie? I you know I it's what been, was it? What, did you remember when it came out? Yeah, was it was it? the drive-in. I, I haven't seen it. It feels like a great drive-in. Yeah, movie. it was a drive-in movie that I saw, and it was at the time we were just beyond ourselves because it was Buffoni and Bronson together. You know, a lot of people didn't know who Delon was. I, I probably didn't have much knowledge okay. of back in the day. But yeah, think, think, think about the international market. Think about the international market. I, I think, film. back to your earlier question, what I first thought, I think seeing those three on um, on the, I didn't see a poster, I was seeing just the credits. Um, you, I kind of was thinking of a more modern genre hybrid that's a little more surreal and how it came together. And like, it was pretty straight laced in like how the, sto- the story set up is that uh, Mifune is um, a bodyguard of a Japanese ambassador traveling across a cra- train across the country. And Bronson and Delon rob that train. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah it, it's I don't know how much longer it's on TCM. Watch TCM, but <laughs> recommend. Well, it. cool. Yeah, that's exciting. I didn't. I because uh, you know a lot of times we talk. You're always you know coming up with these you know really artsy or alternative stuff, and it's cool to hear you say uh, an old ancient uh, genre, but western. The mo- But the movie we're doing this for, uh, No Time to Die, we'll finally talk about it. Um, again, spoiler alert on this, because this movie, not only you know, how we compared the two earlier, just references Honor Majesty's Secret Service a lot. There, and that's why you want you finally want to do an episode on Honor Majesty's Secret Service. On a favorite of yours. Oh, uh, yeah. I just, that's one of my babbling. I get when it, you, you, you did a series, you did this, uh, presented the movie a few years ago at the library for series, your yeah. library series. Right. I did, we did uh, the Road to Victory series. Uh, when, and then, then I, and then I just did, a, I just did a panel on it this past weekend down in MonsterCon slash SpyCon. Which was funny because you couldn't talk about No Time to Die. I could not bring it. it up because all the people around me hadn't seen the Bond film. They would have killed me. So I'm sitting there like a, with a straight jacket on this panel saying, because it would help. Uh, I was trying to convince the, the part of the panel was like saying, this could be the, is this the best Bond film or is it one of the best Bond films? Let's get out of the way. The main overarching uh, 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 parallel between the two is it's one of the first Bond movies that not only makes it pretty 
emotional point, reuses a song significantly. Yes, I don't. Uh, I mean, there's been you know they've used, they've reused the theme. Obviously, they've reused. There's a 007 theme they reused, but uh, and little riffs or notes and stuff. But I don't think there was a trailer for I think Spectre. I think the trailer for Spectre used OHF. Right, right, right. Music, I but, do remember but that. I thought, oh, but they didn't show up in the movie. Although the, the Spectre has that ending that, I mean, one of the 15 things that bugged me about Spectre is like it basically riffs on uh, Honor Majesty's Secret Service's ending. They drive away in a car together, but oh. then nothing happens. Yeah. Like, uh, it just is a bland ending. Right, right. Which could have been an ending of that series because he's, he's going to drive off with Madeline and live happily ever after. Um, but Because they have all the time in the world. But it riffs on that line yes. a, a lot. Um, it's well, right off the bat, you see me when I when we were watching it, I, my hands went up. Remember when I I, I couldn't believe it? Because when at the beginning of uh, No Time to Die, I you know they said the phrase, I thought, but then the music started. You so you the, you pointed out when this yeah. music, and I we we we've included that the music was going to come in at a certain right. point, but yeah, and uh, I just it's going to be so fascinating to talk to a lot of people. We're going to dive into why Honor Majesty's Secret Service over the years has become a lot of cinephiles' favorite Bond movie. But one of the most easiest, easiest descriptions, you just get to come down to one thing. It's got a kind of, how do we describe the ending? Just like a real shocker ending. Right. Which 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 one? Which one? <laughs> the, the, uh, the Honor new... Majesty's Secret Service. Yeah, and but that's in the book. It's in the no, book. no, it's yeah. in the book. Yeah. We're going to talk the book too a little. Yeah. But um, where... Bond marries. Right. And she's, and right after the wedding, she is murdered. Right. And he says, we have all the time in the world. She, and they're off on their, they're in their DB uh, six, not DB five, but DB six. And no uh, time to die. Um, which especially when you first approach it has such, you know, it's such a Bond generic title. But then when you see the movie, all the time in the world, no time to die. I, I, how much do we, are we going to talk about no time to die? That's, that's why I'm like, do, do we do, I know it's 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 uh it's we I guess we just go back and forth and bounce back and forth on it if we want. Uh, all right. When did you first see Honor Majesty's Secret Service? Well, that's a good question. <laughs> you are not um, like kids waiting for Empire Strikes Back, or I was trying to think of a good example for me. I was waiting for Back to the Future Three. You were not waiting for the next Bond movie. Or? Oh gosh, no, 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 no. When I would get when I came of age and started becoming, you know, a movie kid, uh, we all lined up. We were there for opening for all the Bond films. Now, the my question is, what was my first one? I may have seen Honor Match Secret Service on its theatrical run at the Victory. Because I remember, I have this memory of asking my dad, in the opening credits, they actually have clips that reference. That was the other crazy thing we were watching this, was um, the last few uh, Daniel Craig movies have, being all as interconnected, they've really made a point to recycle uh, characters from the whole five films. Right. This did that too, it, but it was supposed to, also supposed to be a setup since it was the new. They were really worried. They go, oh, "Gosh, you know, people. We got a new Bond." A, a George Lazenby's playing a Bond after Connery. Kind right. of got, got, was money issues the reason he quit. And if you watch closely in the credits, they show clips from all the previous films. They show no Connery and they show no Lazenby. They just show scenes. Mm -hmm. And I, mean, I think I remember saying, "Daddy, Daddy, is that those are those pictures from the you know early Bond films or something?" Mm -hmm. And then I also have a memory of the just the big screen uh, visual of going up the Piz Gloria, the mountaintop where Blofeld is at mm -hmm. in, the, in Switzerland. 
and the John Barry music playing, and I think that has embedded in my head. That's embedded in a lot of people's heads. <laughs> That's, I mean, I, I forgot rewatching it. It's like, oh yeah, like big chunks of Inception are coming from here. Right. Oh gosh, yeah. Which I um, I had put in just not the other uh, not too long ago, and just watched some of the OHMSS references. But um, so then it sh- shows up on ABC in two parts. They cut it out of order. They put voiceover on it. It opens up with the ski chase scene. And and they get a guy. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. That's crazy. And then in, in Evansville, it was covered up by an Aces game part of it. So it was really terrible. And it was my first time to really go. <laughs> we were so uh, excited <laughs> about it. Uh, Aces is a, a local a basketball team, the University of Evansville. Thanks for explaining that. Basketball team. So we were just like, wow. You know, so then a friend and I, Timothy and I, uh, found a uh, Bloomington was showing all the Bond films. We heard uh, up at IU. When was this? This would have been the late seventies, early eighties. Okay. Uh, after the ABC butchered. Uh, Not you, you. haven't seen any of the Connery Bonds by this point. Oh no, no, no! I was, I, I was, uh, uh, no. Uh, Diamonds are forever, but it's the one I know I definitely first saw. Because that comes after this, right? But I might have saw you only twice, possibly two. But okay. Uh, um, I was I was born fifty eight, so you know I'm sixty eight. I'm ten, you know, so. Uh, my dad was a big Bond fan. You know what's nice about this is that I would Bonds were not emphasized in my childhood. I Bond oh gosh, was not oh, big no, time I, in my childhood. Not at all. Not at all. And by, at the same time, Bond was like uh, I always define them as the TBS movies. The the Turner had them forever, and so I'd see like parts of them. I saw a lot of Roger Moore clips of Roger Moore's that way. Like I, um, I remember the alligator walks. I think West. a lot of people your age, you know, are Roger Moore Bond fans. Because of the that's the age you're on. Well, that's that's funny you mention it. Um, my my real my real connection to Bond didn't really hit. I really like the Daniel Craig ones, but Skyfall to this day, even after No Time to Die, is still my favorite Bond. And I really really got into. Uh, I, I just went down the rabbit hole and made sure I'd seen everything, but except I still haven't seen a few of the Roger Moores. But this is the reason I'm so into the Daniel Craig one. In um, is okay. Oh, there, Alan Moore. Do you remember Alan Moore's uh, introduction to Dark Knight Returns? No, no, it's quasi legendary, man. And like he mentions about how it, it puts out his um, redoing IP, redoing heroes thing. That was that was at, at the time when he wrote it, it would have been '86. Was um, I don't know, breathtaking. I, it was more of his thing at the time, and then, um, and he's abandoned it since. But like since then, like this is what everyone uh, who's doing IP wants to do: find a new take on an old hero. And like he mentions um, doing dark takes on old heroes too. And he mentions like Tarzan potentially, if he was raised by uh, apes, who would have sexually ha- experimented with other apes. He talks about Alan Quartermain being an imperialist, but he talks about how when you go back to the Ian Fleming books that the defining psychological trait of James Bond is utter contempt for women. And it's such a beautiful, interesting take on this boring, um, I don't know, like uh, outdated uh, relic from the 50s, 60s playboys uh, ethos, you know? Right. Yeah, but the... Uh, the last uh, short stories of Fleming were serialized in Playboy. Uh, yeah, yeah, this was serialized in Playboy in three parts. Yeah, uh, well, he was writing. He was writing this when Doctor No was being shot nearby in Jamaica. Yeah, uh, it's the tenth. No- it's the tenth Bond novel. And I, I had read all the books 
before I hit high school. I binged them all. You have read oh, them all. Oh, right, straight through them. Oh, yes. And then I and then I read Colonel Sun, the King's Amos one, and then I started on the Raymond. Uh, and then the John Gardner's came next, but I have I'm way behind on the newer ones. I thought I felt accomplished just because I finally went down to Casino Royale and read that, but I haven't read anything else. I have a few of them, including uh, Honor Majesty's Secret Service, but this is also. Um, from the movie order versus the book order, they inverted this because it's this a, was oh, the, yeah, this was the middle of I didn't I think because the when Blowfield I, trilogy yeah the Blowfield trilogy when I went back and started actually watching the Bond movies, uh, Blowfield's mentioned in so many of the other movies that I thought Blowfield would have been over more books, but really I guess he's only in the three. Um. Yeah. Now you, that's a good question because Spectre eventually gives way to something else. Too. Well, it started out being a Smirsh he was fighting, and that was a real. Uh, entity, and then they, and then he t- changed it to a fictional inspector. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's all kinds of reasons. I used to, I, I've forgotten more than I, uh, I, I can remember. I, I hear you, man. Because uh, I, like I said, I, I really, I, I binged them back in uh, grade school. But uh, I want to go back, and let me just finish off where I, uh, you know, I had, uh, I had maybe saw it when I was a kid on its run. I saw the Butcher two-parter on ABC, and then I saw that we went up to IU, to Bloomington. Mm-hmm. I think they, it could have been thirty-five millimeter because uh, it's it's uh, I, you know Indiana University. Mm-hmm. We got up there, we watched it. We just just were just so in love with it. Would they show them in order? How's this? I don't know. It was like it was on which MSS and maybe Thunderbar. I don't know. It was a double feature, but we actually stayed because they were showing it again. We stayed and watched it again that night because we we were so enamored of it. So then this same friend, Timothy, and I, we heard in Chicago Comic-Con, this guy was going to do a James Bond display, and they were going to show HMSS there. So we went. There, I went up there, not for the comic books, but for the, the Bond showing, because at this point, we still, it was, there was no VHS. The cable was just now starting. So it was a chance to see it again, you know, as a 16 millimeter print this time. Was the Lazenby stuff an issue for you? Because because Lazenby always was a punchline to me. Well, it's up. interesting. I just, before I came over here uh, to do this cast, I, I looked at the first a significant James Bond in the cinema book that came out, uh-huh. John Bronson. Right off the bat, he's, he's slagging on Lazenby. Uh-huh. So that made that impression because a lot of us hadn't seen the film. But we didn't, it was hard to find it or hard to see it. Uh-huh. So we were getting this impression that it was, it's not that good. Lazenby's not that good. It's a weird film. Da, 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 da. So he had this really kind of weird pedigree. In fact, let me, can I, can I read this? Uh, hey, this is from a book, oh, um, The Making of Irish Mixed Services by this fanboy. But he has in here the, uh, in the legacy chapter. Here's a quote from Films and Review, January 1970. Plotless, meaningless, beneath contempt. In January 1970. You're kidding. Then, Films and Review again, December 1992. A perfect movie and the crowning achievement of the series. <laughs> so there, that's pretty much the evolution this film's taken. Well, on the um, face of it, you, you, you think that he... This movie was kind of... It, not it. It made it was one of the highest grossing movies of the year, but it made less than Thunderball, I guess. And everyone so they started saying it made less money. And Lazy Beep was probably the reason. And history for a while, I think, generally had this idea that he was fired. But no, he announced in the middle of filming, yes, that he was just doing one. Yeah, because he, he had he had some handlers and agents and, and just different things going on. He he said, "Well, this is this this Bond's an archaic. It's an antique." And then Woodstock it, is it, going to kill it. An Easy Rider, you know, and all this other stuff happening. So it's not going to last. And so now you're a star. You can go off and do your own thing. But he got you know pretty much blacklisted. I'm, uh, he goes, Saltzman and Broccoli, you don't want to mess with them. Hmm. They're, they're powerful. And he had, you know, he had to go off and, you know, he did an Australian Hong Kong uh, uh, 
martial arts film in mm-hmm. Australia and all kinds of weird things. He took his, you know, he's never really recovered from that. He was like, you know, he's a freaking car salesman and, and a model uh, when they hired him to play Bond. But I just recently was watching some Dinah Rigg interviews, mm-hmm. and she said he just he goes she he was great he was fine as an actor mm-hmm. he just played he was playing the star and causing trouble on the set and and and, and let his ego run rampant uh, and he now admits it he know he realizes what he's done now. One of the uh, essays we're going to probably reference a lot is Steven Soderbergh wrote a giant essay on this or not giant but uh, and one of the things he talks about is that um, I mean. My personal opinion, Lazenby's great in the movie. I, yeah, he points out that Lazenby is is good, but um, one thing that's weird is that they like Lazenby has a presence, and they might still be trying to figure out, or they might be stuck on like trying to make him Connery. So like a lot of the one liners maybe feel a little stiff. Although I laughed at a lot of them, <laughs> uh, but oh, no, no, I think I think I think the evidence evidence is there. I think he's wonderful in this film. I think, uh, but I think he could was going to be better. He had a seven. Oh my gosh! He had a seven film contract, and he could have worked at that, done a couple of other offshoots and stuff, and just really by the time he did his third or fourth Bond, he would have been cooking. You know, just so great. So I think he. But I love watching him in this. Every time I watch it more and more, I grow more fond of it. Uh, per the Soderbergh thing, I want to figure figure out when. When exactly did Honor Majesty's Secret Service that turn based on those two quotes you read? When did the turn happen? When did people start acknowledging this as the best movie? That's a good question. I have a good idea, but I want to hear okay. what your take. No, well, go ahead and give me that. It might help me think of that. My personal theory is that at the end of the Pierce Brosnan era, whenever there were there was that long lag between uh, of Brosnan, beginning of Daniel Craig, it was when Tarantino was trying to make his take, and he was he was actively whenever they had the rights issues to figure out over uh, Thunderball, right. I'd forgotten Tarantino or someone with representing Tarantino had actively made a bid on it, but he had the, he was the idea one that pushed the idea, go back to its roots. Um, I read different stuff on the internet where they talked about the specifics, but he's always, he's always pitched Casino Royale and he said, go back to the book, go back to the book. And it's been, he wanted for a while, suppose there's this legendary meeting with him and Brosnan where he pitched Brosnan on it. And it was going to be like a black and white 60 set anamorphic, well, anyway, I I feel like that pushed a lot of people in the, a lot of people's minds go back to the books, even though in the eighties that was what everyone said with uh, Timothy Dalton go back to the books. Yeah, uh, I think it, I think it was just a very slow evolution, and I think and like me and my friend Timothy when we saw it up uh, finally got to see it you know on the big screen, uh, we're in our, our uh, early twenties or late teens or whatever. It just you just if you love movies and you love the Bond franchise. You go, oh my gosh, this is. And of course, the, here's the thing that was the longest. And I, I'm almost tired of this now, and I think it's almost put the bed now. Is uh, well, only if Sean Connery been in this film. Oh, you know, they, it was just like I love this film, but you know, it needs Sean Connery, or I want Sean Connery in it. Uh, and that's another whole issue. That I, I was going to ask you what you thought of that because you know they originally talked about going in book order, yeah. and um, but you got the feeling that a lot of the reasons this movie is great is a lot of the things Peter Hunt specifically asked for. Right, and I think can, here's this get to the book, film and locations, dial back the gadgets a little. Yeah, and, and you almost wish you know Sean had, you know, sometimes Sean. Uh, How great it would have been his last if this had been his last one. Right, but you know, I'm always curious if Sean could have worked out because he was starting to get you know a little pudgy, a little you know tired. Of course, people like you know, the, uh, and, and that's one complaint they see Bond looks too fresh and young. 
in this and he's not the world weary but uh okay that's what i mean that's just one thing that's right but here's the thing i think, get it i get it talk about this one scene and on a magic secret service he's escaped the headquarters of blofeld he's got goons uh blofeld's goons chasing him everywhere he's on an ice rink and the middle of public and he knows he's gonna uh, he has no help no connection nothing to uh help him out he looks vulnerable he looks Soderbergh awesome. really makes this point a lot. There's a lot of things that Lazenby does where, like, sometimes in these fights, Lazenby looks scared in yeah. a good way. And I think, what is he going to, you know, how am I going to get out of this? Could, could, could Sean have pulled that off? I mean, Sean's a great actor, and, you know, I, I don't want to. Well, the, the other thing in that, as many bonds have come by, we keep coming back to, like, these people give different dynamics right. to it. Like, Dalton's darker, more was funnier. Um, uh, Daniel Craig looks like he's actually been in these fights. <laughs> So, you know, and then, of course, Tracy shows up. And there's that great scene where Nima Peel skates up. Nima Peel. I said Nima uh, Tracy. I thought, Dr. Did, I thought you did that on purpose. No, I forgot. Well, she wasn't a former Avenger. I was going to ask, were you watching the Avengers? Yeah, I, we, we had, we uh, Avengers was on my radar as a kid. So, yeah, I knew we had, uh, Honor Blackman was an Avengers, uh, and, uh, and Goldfinger. And then, uh, and then uh, uh, Donna Rigg. And then a future Avengers is in the movie. Did you know that? And I mean, the girls, the, the, the girls that he's uh, having them, Past the, uh, uh-huh. one of them is Joanna Lumley. Uh, you know, hmm. fabulous, absolutely fabulous. This is the uh, Angels of Death. Yeah, the Angels of Death. She goes on to be a New Avengers. They 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 brought the series back called the New Avengers. Oh. And Patrick McNee is back, and then they had two young people and Joanna. And she's on absolutely fam- fabulous. Yeah, she's the two of the two girls, the two main girls well, in that series. That's embarrassing for me. So. Um. <laughs> But yeah, well, and then Julie Edge is in the one of the Angels of Death. She's a hammer. She's done a lot of interesting films. And and then the girl who plays Trudy was in the Casino Royale spoof in 68. Oof. Yeah. So. That's a tough one to watch. I don't know why I, I I think your recommendation was the main reason I watched this, uh, but yeah, I, I preached I, the word on this. Don't I, I? Th- I think I finally got around to watching it in 2010 or 2011. And one of the interesting things about the Bond series, pretty much for its first three decades, is the directors were all in house, and it was it has mostly in house. Well, yeah, I mean they, they, they I mean they 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 assembled the crew. And Terrence Young was her first director. This, this is the first. Uh, there was there's been like three examples of this, but this is one of the first examples of an editor being promoted to director. Right. Editor, second unit director being yeah. promoted to the directing. He had an established an editing career, Peter Hunt, and I think Saltwater Broccoli wanted him uh, in a previous Bond before they started the Bond films, and he said, "No, I'm, I'm doing this or that." So they finally came to, back to him and Doctor No and said, "Hey," and he goes, "Well, give me this much money, and then I'll do it." So he. Uh, Starts with Dr. No as an editor, mm-hmm. works his way up. He's second unit directing, and he only did it twice. Mm-hmm. And he's also kind of supervising editing by the time he wanted to direct uh, prior to you only have twice. And I think he helped out on Thunderball so much, uh, or you only have twice uh, on Thunderball so much, they gave him a round trip. Uh, they paid for a round trip to around the world, mm-hmm. and he ended up in Japan when they were shooting him twice. So he ended up helping him. I mean, something that was strategic to get oh, him there. Wow. Um, but he, uh, the United Artists, the, the powers that be, that maybe I guess the powers over Brockwood Salsi. It's hard, hard to imagine that, but they said, "Well, we don't want him. He's too. He's not a proven director." Uh-huh. Guy Hamilton and Terrence Young had been proven before, prior to their Bond films. So and Lewis Gilbert, who did the Only Love Twice. Uh, can you believe he he did Alfie I think and he does Only Love Twice, 
Um, well, that, that's an outside hire then. Yeah. Well, yeah. That, before you only twice, exactly. Um, but uh, so they finally give Peter Hunt the chance, and Peter goes, "I'm going to go for broke. I'm going to make this the best best Bond film." He, he mentions in the memories he's coming off Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Uh, oh, I guess he, yeah. I hadn't, uh, he didn't direct it. And no, he, no, 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 no. And no. he's not at credit as an editor on it. Yeah. But he probably well again. The by the time of Thunderball, you know, twice he's almost supervising and he- helping out as well, opposed to the. Well, it's crazy because uh, Chitty Bang Bang's Ian Fleming uh, with a script written by Roald Dahl, yeah. which is exactly you only live twice. Right. He worked and. Nothing about Hunt is, uh, and I, this you're an editor. Uh, we I this is what I was getting to. You you need to uh, I, I you need to sit down maybe and examine this closely. But this is a, what there's a thing about editing where like editing is supposed to be invisible. This movie's is the editing oh, is amazing on this movie, but it's not invisible. It's not invisible because I yeah it's like it's like an editor gone crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, which is fun though. That's part of the fun of this. Yeah, film. and I think. Uh, uh, Soderbergh has a line I can't remember exactly what, but it's something like Eisenstein mentioned. <laughs> okay, but um, and, and he's uh, also just like I got to steal shit from this. But they think that uh, I think the, the kind of the, the uh, legacy of the Bond films, you know, the music, the, the directing, the Connery, all this stuff. Another legacy is apparently Peter Hunt brought a whole new style of editing to modern filmmaking. The the fight scene and from Russia with Love and the Train. Uh, uh, see, that's why I need to ask you because. But I, I was reading this the other day, and it was I've, heard, book, I've heard that I, that I have trouble picturing exactly what they're talking about. But yeah, uh, uh, well, I think you see it because it's funny because like um, um, John Glenn, who's also going to go on to uh, direct some of the other movies in the seventies and eighties, uh, the Bond he, films. Yes, he's the editor on this, yes. editor and second unit director, and he, it, you hear him talk about the editing style, trying to approximate Peter Hunt's editing style, and he says fast, and then you hear Peter Hunt's talk about it. And he's like, no, I laid everything out. <laughs> this is always a, a this is this is that like large gulf of between bad editing and good editing, where like geography matters, knowing where people are, but at the same time, energy, kineticism, go fast. This is always the push pull that like goes back and forth between good and bad editing. Yeah, uh, but you know, but like I said, you 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 would be a nice, interesting case in study that as an editor, you being an editor, sit down. Maybe watch the first three back to back and see, and then see what other films were out at that same time, and see if Peter is pushing the, the uh, art of editing in a, in a new direction, which they say some claim he did. Well, well, at least at least for the action franchises. I wanted to at some point mention one of the the, the, the Bond movies uh, lineage cinematically. I always go back. It's it's a Truffaut quote where I thought I originated from, but he basically said that the first Bond movie really is North by Northwest. Oh yeah, well, true. Uh, yeah, and that's part of my. I, I use North by Northwest in my series. Yeah, I brought that up. It's the blueprint. It's a foundational film for this whole series. They almost, I think, they about even approached Hitchcock, uh, and uh, the uh, whole the whole look and feel and music, and even the graphic design, the title credits, and everything. Just it just you know, if you look at that, you go, yes, that this is this is a proto. Well, over the years, waning influence or still zeitgeist influence, uh, the Bond movies have always been the top shelf action movie or... or, They were. They they set the trend. They've gone back and forth between. Sometimes they come back and they hit it. And sometimes they seem irrelevant. Yeah, it's like, you know, uh, I think I've been been growing up with all this stuff and it's like Die Hard comes along Mm -hmm. and then up the ante. It was like that was now... 
where action franchises needed to be. Do you be. remember in that period where uh, Bond was trying to figure out what to do after the Bourne movies came out? Well, then, then, and then I was going to say the next, after Die Hard, the Bourne films came out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that just like, okay, now we're really in trouble. And uh, but the, now, I, lo- I love the Bourne movies. They're not yeah. a great action influence on people, though. Well, we, they, we we're talking about geography and clear editing. Yeah, oh, no, exactly. But, you know, green, And that became, you know, almost green uh, Greengrass's father. Mm-hmm. Uh but yeah, it was. It's like Bond set the trends, and it was ahead of the curve. And then it got it lagged, started lagging behind. And so the Daniel Craigs are really trying very hard to get that uh, be the king of the mountain again. You know, there was also I remember uh, right before Goldeneye came out, it was it was more just practical. Like, what is the Bond movies after the Cold War ended? Um, here's the trick. Here's the here's the, here's the uh, here's the trick of I guess what's a better word trick. But anyway. They want to stay. They want to give you the Bond traditions. They want to keep that, but yet they got to, you know. Right. But you, but it's like you know, what's the something thing? new versus something familiar. What did, what did Denise Villeneuve or Villeneuve just say? Denis Villeneuve. Uh, he said that uh, the aren't the MCU movies becoming cut and paste? And uh, so uh, you know, Denis Villeneuve wants to do a Bond movie. Well, I saw that. <laughs> He's like, ooh. Um, so does, uh, remember they were recording Spielberg all over the uh, over the years to have new one. Uh, what was it? Lucas's selling point to him on Indiana Jones? Like, why don't you get to do your own Bond movie? Oh yeah. So um, what's so beautiful about No Time to Die is uh, they state they got the traditional tropes are in there, but it's still still very modern in a way, don't you think? Yeah, I I, I remember this conversation being stronger before. There seems to be a period that broke open where sequels got better significantly. Forever, it was just like, you know, Cameron was the only one who could figure out sequels and occasionally Spielberg, but for the most part, sequels were diminished returns. Right, and a lot of times it's because of budget slash, like the Planet of the Apes films. Hey, make another one, but we're going to slash your budget. And it's like, oh, come on. And even even with like Cameron and Spielberg. The early, the previous Planet of the Apes, not the new ones. Yeah, yeah. Even with those, there was still this idea of like, we need to get us, the scenes everyone loved from the, the last movie into this one, but like, let's let's tweak it a little way. Yeah. And and so, yeah, that's always been an issue with sequels. But what's so beautiful about No Time to Die, it also it actually has throwbacks to the book, uh, uh, images from the book, images from the first, from Dr. No. You know the craziest uh, thing? I, I, I didn't know. Um, um, one big plot point early on in No Time to Die is uh, Bond goes to visit Vesper Lynn's grave mm-hmm. from uh, Honor Majesty's Secret Service. That was first revealed in the book on Honor Majesty's Secret Service. Oh, okay, right. Um, and then of course we have uh, uh, when Roger after Moon after after the Moonraker film, they had a uh, Roger uh, James Bond go visit Tracy's grave. Yeah, at the beginning of that, and then of course it, it turns silly because what he does with two quote unquote Blofeld, even though they call. Him. But they didn't have the rights to Blofeld Inspector. They were well. They were. In it was detention. like man with a cat. Yeah, or something like yeah, that. In a, in a wheelchair, you know. Yeah. Well, I, I just think you know, Honor Match Secret Service is just so fun and uh, and uh, unique because right off the bat, you get this Q and M in the office, mm-hmm. and 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 Q goes, uh, "I got a new, a new gadget to show you. It's radioactive lint." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they're making fun of the gadgets. <laughs> and they said right there, it's like, okay, guys, we're not gonna we're gonna screw the gadgets. We're gonna get serious here. Yeah, you know? I had that in my notes too. And then we, I, and before we saw that, we saw the sign ex, uh, import exports. Uh, the uh, that's the the, com- o- the opening image of the the plaque of the building for MI6. Yeah, that's it's after- a coverage. It's a cover for MI6. <laughs> they call it exports. That's the uh, iris out from. Yeah, and then you actually Peter Hunt does a cameo. It's, it's his reflection in the plaque there. I think I saw that, heard that in the commentary. So, uh, 
they get to then we go we cut the you know then Bull, and then M says I like to be, I like to be able to track where Bond is and we cut and we don't see his face they they're holding off the the way that is shot is so expertly done yes like the shot of his the lower when he puts the cigarette in and the lower half of his face um such a great lit shot such an iconic introduction but also withholding the uh real full blown introduction to the face. Right. And then they, 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 he lights a cigarette, just like the first time we saw Connery and Dr. No, he lighting a cigarette when he says Bond, James Bond. Uh, and, uh, the, the double, the James Bond theme plays, but it's a more jazzier, more hip one. And he's in a DB, he's in a, he's in a DB, he's in an Aston Martin, but it's not the DB five. It's a DB six. It's a little more slicker, the mm-hmm. next model of. Hmm. So it's all these little things tweaked. And then, of course, he sees uh, Dinah Rigg on the uh, beach and goes down there. Tracy's trying to kill herself in the beginning yes. of this movie. Yes, you saw. The, the, it's so weird because that opening is so, so dynamic, but um, it's uh, they shot over two days. It's trying to be at sunset, so it has this really wonky uh, trying to do day for night-ish type. So yes. like, but, so, but it looks hyper real, very dreamlike. It, yeah, and the tire squealing on the beach on the uh, on the sand that doesn't that doesn't happen. And if you watch the edit, again the editing, you watch the editing. There's a couple of continuity uh, in terms of the waves and the, the proximity of people, but you don't care. Don't care. No, because it works so well. It's so dynamic. I I, I pointed out the uh, um, Bond pulls out the gun sight to look at Tracy for her first shots, which are gorgeous shots. But at the same time, it's it's just a zoom lens yeah. with the. Uh, Including a moving zoom, I was like, I don't think the gunsight does that, but I don't care. And then, of course, we get we finally see his face, and when we see his face, he does the Bond, James Bond, mm-hmm. and then she runs off. Uh, he finishes the, the fight, she right. runs off, and of course, what is he? He actually breaks this the fourth such a wall. Great line. Guess what? This never happened to the other fellow. Looks at the right of the camera, and of course, I can only imagine the hoots and the hollers and the. The laughs when that in the theater for that. I brought this up to you after we finished No Time to Die, and you seemed unfamiliar with it. You've never heard the theory that some people like that uh, James Bond is just a cover name, and that every other actor is a different uh, person. Because oh. I think a lot of Bond people hate that theory, yeah. and I, it, it obviously doesn't track when I you go visit I, Tracy. I don't Spray. know if I hate it. I have to really think about that. I mean. I was really, I was, like I said, I'm a child of continuity. Thank you, Roy Thomas. Um, <laughs> and so anytime they threw any continuity to us in the films, we just loved it, you know, and it was far and few between on any franchise. You know, now we got, you know, the MCUs have now changed all that. But prior to that, you know, we were just, so I didn't, I don't know. I didn't really like, cause I, I was a fan of the books. Reddit didn't exist in the seventies is what you're saying. <laughs> so, uh, but no, I don't know. It is going to be interesting to see where they go from here uh, with the next, you know, are they going to keep the cast and a new Bond or or what? It's going I, to- I guess there's a part of me that is um, how hard a reboot and how now No Time to Die, which we're still, we've been screwing around the Indian No Time to Die, which for, for uh, but it's a pretty definitive end. I know, I, I, to my mind, I would just start a, a brand new clean slate, just wipe it all out, start again. But is this Spider Man where we reboot every few years until Marvel then comes up with a multiverse? <laughs> of course, uh, uh, what's weird is what made this kind of weird was the Judy Dench being uh, yeah, bridging the two. It, I mean, not to get really obtuse, but it reminded me of the DC New 52 where like uh, Grant Morrison and Jeff Johns got to keep their storylines going, but everyone else um, had to start over. Yeah. Speaking of, you brought up Alan Moore earlier and you're talking about 
different bonds in the yeah. league. He just brings them all in, even the Woody Allen, even uh, uh, Jimmy Bond. Well, the, the, oh, yeah, I forgot Jimmy Bond was even in that, um, the American Bond. Uh, well, no, the, the other thing about this is uh, in uh, Honor Magic Secret Service, a big plot point comes to be going back to the Bond coat of arms, and uh, the uh, world is not enough. enough is the phrase of it. But They use that in a, a Pierce Bronson uh, title. Yeah. yeah, but also the uh, grandfather, I believe, isn't he in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen oh, along with him back yeah, in the day? Yeah, right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, the, so. the Alan Moore doing the lineage of Bonds throughout the years. Right, so... Uh, I don't know. I, I, I yeah. But... <laughs> yeah. So back to the movie, uh, no credit song because they kept saying the title was too long. Well, you know, it's interesting because, you know, they shoot, they made a, they made a song. They used, had a Lulu singing the man with a golden gun. You know, ex- that my whole point is like, you could have you could have done one, but I think John was very smart. They had they were they were uh you know he was you know on a pretty good role with all songs and music and everything, and he I think he was wise. Uh, who came up with the idea to do a music video in the middle of a Bond film and the romance? But they opted to do the lyrics the song with the lyrics for the love theme between Bond and Tracy, so that freed him up to do. It comes mystery. in. It comes in thirty five minutes into the movie. Wow. So I freed him up to do an instrumental, and it's a great instrumental. It's like I said, they've used it now, and uh, there's a little snippet of it in No Time to Die. Um, I, I want to throw something at you, uh, really, really uh, from the side. But John Barry, you mentioned it being kind of very jazzy early on. This, do you? Am I misreading? Is there a bitches brew vibe to some of the jazz work in this and the organ work? Oh, it's been a long time since I've listened to, the, to that album. Uh, you, you have to tell me because you're the. Have you probably more familiar with it right now than I am? I heard it a lot last night. Yeah. That's all. That, that, that's the only reason. Oh no, no, but that's it could be very well because he is. He's he was a, a known jazz musician before he got the Bond gig. Bitches Bruce '67, I think. Yeah. Um. The uh the title sequence also has a shit ton of clocks Clock, and which uh, is in No Time to Die. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and just time being an issue, but, yes. and also, uh, hourglasses. Um, uh, and then whenever, um, the M scene, the M scenes in this are very much in the, the Craig, tr- more what Daniel Craig put up where like, they're not, they don't feel like exposition scenes, like, like Bond resigns. Yeah. And, 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 uh, and I love the course, uh, talk about Easter eggs in the new Craig film. There's a ton of them. And then the OHMSS, he goes back to his office he pulls out the the belt, the knife knife belt for Honey Child Wide, Ursula Anderson's character. You mean Easter egg in Honor Majesty's Secret yeah. Service? Both films, yeah. But but this is the Easter eggs in Honor Majesty's okay. Service. Yeah. George Lazenby goes back to the office, pulls out the the belt from uh, Doctor No, pulls out the watch that uh, Red Grant was wearing and, uh, and tried to kill him in Fresh Eleven. He pulls out the breath uh, little breather thing from Thunderball as the theme songs to play underneath, and then of course he toasts the Queen. A very nice intro, a young portrait of the queen at the uh, in the in the office, and he thinks he's resigning and he's pulling out cleaning out his office his desk and and of course Money Penny uh, being very astute does makes a change say he's taking a leave uh, going on vacation mm. so it's a nice scene and of course Lazenby does the hat on the rack uh, and there's you know that's yeah uh, there's all that's another throwback because uh, it it wasn't consistent uh, all through all the films but this one they want to make sure that you're watching the traditional Bond film. But uh, what about what did you think about uh, uh, watching it again last night? I know you watched it again last night. How do you feel about Telus Savalas' Blofeld? I, why? I think one 
he's he's fine, but I don't. Uh, well, Donald Pleasant seems to be my favorite Blofeld, besides maybe obviously um, Christoph Waltz. And Christoph Waltz was not given a lot of opportunity. I think Christoph Waltz is way better as Blofeld in No Time to Die than he is in Spectre. Yeah, of course. That Inspector, Inspector's a fucking mess, man. Well, I don't. I'm not. I need to rewatch it to be to give it a fair shake. But I, I, I'm the the Blowfield storyline in there was where I'd completely checked. That's out. where, yeah, connecting Bond and Blowfield growing up together. Did you brothers. Did you know we've known each other forever, and we're going to turn to be hero and villain? Yeah, that was like that was that's Hollywood thing more so than you know. Uh, um, but uh, Donald Pleasance is pretty solid. Um, and, Bond now, <laughs> and I guess I didn't understand why they recast Blofeld so many times. Uh, there, was, there was supposed to be a joke in well, Diamonds Are Forever where like, or in Diamond Forever, they he says we've had plastic surgery. Yeah, well, there's yeah, and this it that's and that's from the book too. Yeah, books too. there's a con, oh, well. there's a real continuity problem. Um, uh, by the way, before I forget this, you know the the production name for the No Time to Die was Shatterhand, oh, and that was the name for Blofeld, and he only lived twice. He was using only on the name with Doctor Shatterhand. I didn't know that, but I knew like they, I knew it was a Bond term because like I think it, they were talking about it was a potential title for another Bond movie. And what what we're what we're here of that, the 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 uh, the the people in the poison pools and they're in the island uh, and No Time to Die. You know, time to die. That's a that's a that's a throwback to Blofeld's poisonous gardens, and you live twice. Oh wow! So, anyway, uh, I think one one thing I noted is that Telly Savala is properly taught um, uh, Kevin Spacey's Kaiser Sose how to smoke cigarettes. Oh, the way he holds a cigarette. <laughs> uh, um, I just always felt there. Uh, let me say a few things about Blofeld here. For my sake, I thought Telly. I I got I got Kojak by mine. I got American. Thug, policeman, urban yeah. guy, and I want Blofeld. You know, he's like Rasha Ghoul in the Batman. You know, uh, the way Neil Adams drew him. I want him to be this big international European aristocratic type uh, bad guy, and uh, so that, that always that's I, missing an eye too. Yeah, and I'm and I'm kind of getting. I warm up to Telly a little bit every time I watch it, but it's okay. But I don't like him getting in skis and participating in the action. Yeah, with his minions. Okay, that's not a, that's that, that's not that thing. I don't see Blofeld doing that. You know, my my bigger issue with him is uh, I think he has earlobes. <laughs> yeah. After all this time, where he's like, I don't have earlobes. I've had them surgically removed. No, you look like you still have earlobes. There's a close up of your face where it looks like you still distinctly have them. Right. So he's you know he's actually skiing uh, uh, on the skis and and I love the phrase hit him up hit him off of the prefaces. Instead of head off the passes, yeah. Soderbergh really criticized a lot of the um, uh, process work, especially in the ski sequence. Which it's it's it, some of it's yeah, it's, you can see it, but man, some of that stuff is great. That's, too. that's it. It's, it's you know one of the sequences as a kid. Speaking of Bond esque movies, that taught me a lot of the effects. Or started like I would watch over and over, and like I could tell which shot is fake and which shot is something real, which shot is a stunt double person. Is the sequence in uh, Indiana Jones Temple of Doom? Where the uh, raft they 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 jump out of the plane with the raft and then they slide down the mountain, you 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 can watch that in real time and tell process shot or, not, or uh, optical printing shot, uh, model shot, stuntman shot. Right. You can you can tell like that, and that's how this sequence works. And it's just that's where a process shot probably was at the time, you know? Right. Like like tell me what the good process shots were. Like Hitchcock's going to do. I've always said this. Like Family Plot. Like that movie, uh, it's uh, would be six years after this. Like he's still doing process shots <laughs> in there, and like it just takes you out of the movie completely. Right. 
So getting back to Blowfield in this movie, uh, Non-Intermission Service, and as much as I love it, I almost want to say it's a flawless film and it's just great and wonderful. There is a continuity problem, you know, because they, the, they were, this goes back to the book, but they're out of order now and they're kind of already messed up the whole book movie relationship. Uh, uh-huh. uh, Bond and Blofeld have met in the previous film. Yes. And they're, yeah. they're, you got this, is he not recognizing Bond as Bond? You know, uh, what's the deal? I mean, the pair of Harold Lloyd glasses is not going to hide in, an, in a, a dubbed voice. Clark Kent. Uh, yeah. But the only thing I, I always, when I was younger, I, I and I, uh, I on my, I did the OHMSS panel uh, this weekend down at SpyCon. Mm-hmm. And I came, I, the audience kind of groaned at this. <laughs> oh no! Because I said, "Well, you remember he gets surgery, and he only twice to make him look Asian." And and it, it and it's not it's not the, it doesn't really hide the fact that it's Sean Connery, but that's kind of the, what you're supposed to think that he's. Well, doesn't the book of You're Only Live Twice open? It opens after this and Bond after which yeah, and, and uh, Bond goes on a, a bender and loses his memory. Oh yeah, and that's why well, he's the, in that spot. Well, he loses. Yeah, he go well. He and eventually he comes back to and man with a golden gun. He's going to assassinate him because of the things that happened. Right, twice. I did read about that. But anyway, so I go well. You know, he still had the. Uh, Blofeld only saw him in his Asian makeup, his Asian surgery, uh, a do over in his face. So he didn't know really what Bond looked like. And he's, you know, he's still Hurley Bray. That's who he's. And you got a groan for that? Uh, yeah, they were kind of, you know, like that because, you know, uh, I was trying to, it's like, you know, I, I, I appreciate the effort. Thank you. Thank I appreciate you. the, the, the putting, pulling that, pushing that logic boulder up a hill. And uh, then one other last thing about Blofeld about, I do like, you already mentioned it once already. In Diamonds Are Forever, they you know they they Saltzman and Broccoli go back to get Connery. It's the beginning of the end because of the humor thrown in that film. Mm-hmm. But I love the fact that the opening of the sequence, we find out Bond's uh, he, he thinks he's killed Blofeld, and he uh, we, he goes to see him, and him says, "How did you have a good time off?" He was after Blofeld. His revenge on Blofeld was on his own personal time, mm-hmm. and then he goes on the Diamonds Are Forever mission. So <sighs> they do a little reference, you know, there. Uh, I, I like the idea, I think, over the years, especially coming back to it, of the serialized Blowfield. Um, I liked it better than the actual execution of it, but the like ideal of it was... Because when, when Kevin Feige was trying to lay out at the very beginning of um, the MCU, or at least when Avengers came out and they introduced Thanos in it, he said, yeah, Thanos is going to be the Blofeld of uh, the Marvel Universe. And I like the idea of the big bad for to do tv parlance too i mean yeah uh yeah uh uh so yeah that i guess you know we should say that uh do we need to uh, tell the plot of honor manager service i'm sure everybody's listening we were so we're now so in though no, dude so honors okay um you know another thing i want to mention too it's do you the, want to do the plot no I, I mean i think we're okay i think but the funny thing is i, I currently at barnes and noble uh, there's all kind of permutations of you know the, the buying the bonds on Blu-rays and DVDs. You get you know the box set and uh, older box sets. There's a series in white collections, white covers. Mm-hmm. And so Sean Connery Collection One, Sean Connery Collection Two. There's one for Timothy Dalton. There's a couple for Roger Moore, and there's one that Daniel Craig's. They had them all up there on the shelf, but the no George Lazenby OHMS because he only because he only did the one. I know, and they have made one. So in that in that format that you can sell it with, but they didn't stock it on the shelf. This never happened to the other fellows, apparently. <laughs> to this day, it's it has a little bit of stigma to it, you know. The black sheep of the family, you know. Real briefly, back to the editing. Um, the um, 
Soderbergh also said Eisenstein, but he also said New Wave. And there's a lot of really, there's a lot of jump cuts in there, but they, but they're very serviceable jump cuts. They're very like good for like you could tell why they did them exactly. What did you do? Did you notice the fades with the helicopters coming and disappearing? There's a couple of really strange fades with that that don't make sense. Kind of. Yeah. I noticed one shot where um, it was the same frame and they dissolved in between the same frame to um, but you only noticed. I mean, there's just a lot of editorial trickery to fix stuff. Yeah, I mean. Well, and, and I, I was reading which, which uh, if you if if you give an editor a long time on a movie and they know that stuff's good, but they're always like, I can fix something. That's what they do. I, I, I going back to the whole stigma on George Lazenby. I don't because I think he was fine, but there was I think I read somewhere uh, where you know like well he's got he's got the uh, presence, mm-hmm. but he doesn't have the acting chops. And Peter Hunt goes, I can fix that. Yeah. Well, Soderbergh does also point out, uh, and I really noticed it mainly in the scene where right before he's 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 figuring out the coat of arms stuff and he's talking to the genealogy person where it's really bad. Soderbergh points out like they cut off his lines. One of the things an editor will do, an editorial trick when you're dealing with a bad performance is you cut to the other person in the scene because especially if someone has long bits of dialogue Mm because dialogue... If you see someone talking on screen, that's the hardest thing to maintain. So, like, if someone's giving a speech and that dialogue needs to stay in the movie, that's when you cut to someone reacting to it. And in that scene, they cut Lazenby off a lot through there. And I don't know if they needed to because it looked fine. Yeah. But, I, but that's that's criticizing other person's editing. You don't know what they were dealing with. And I, and cut, I want you to think about that, that really weird flash shock edit. In the, the avalanche. Bulb? Yeah, I, I I put a note on that. And uh, and then you and of course there's that one scene where you see little models floating on that. But you probably wouldn't even on a Blu-ray. Yeah, it sticks out. I wonder if you're in the drive-in or the theater, you might you might not have noticed that. Well, there's also just Peter Hunt's uh, been dealing with almost a decade of being uh, the top action uh, franchise. Yes, right. He, exactly. Everything he's doing is the best. So yeah, he, he's maybe he's, he's pushing it. And I love the flash. And then just little nice little tricks like the uh, after the avalanche, and he can't find Tracy. That uh, imagery in the window, and he and the and the flashback of uh, Blofeld's men finding Tracy. Uh, it was not done in, in, in an imagery in the, in the in the glass, I think. Yeah, yeah. I, I they look like forward projection. Uh, yeah. But but it looked too strong of it. Like, I mean. You even go back to the Tracy's first introduction shot in the beginning of the movie, and the um, not her, but the not her introduction shot, but the car driving by, like uh, in the rearview mirror. That's not the actual thing. That's an optical printed right into right. it. Right. Yeah. And there's constant this manipulation using what was available at the technology time. And, you, and we're talking about you know fat, speeding up the editing and the, such editing. And then he lingers like uh, that, how about that lingering on the bullfighters in the in Portugal? Mm-hmm. Oh, oop, hello. I mean, he just like I, I think you know just to give you the sense of scenery and the location you get or how about the shot of the rack good good editing isn't always just to like do it fast right what do you think about the uh, rack focus when uh lazy me throws a knife and drake goes off it takes forever to get back to the calendar yeah yeah because he does it and you look back um uh, Tracy's father looks back. Uh, 
The glasses. And, and it's time and the rack is I think in time with the glasses. Right. It's beautifully done. But it, it is it is it, it calls attention to itself. But it, it's it's it, it's fun. It, fun. it's fun. It's fun. I think it's why uh I think we're uh, film fanatics like it so much because you get to see all this stuff. It's like when Tarantino says you want to learn how to direct a film, watch Once Upon a Time in the West. Mm-hmm. You can't not you love the story and the film, and the acting, but you cannot help but watch the technique of Sergio in that. So here you get the and speaking of Once Upon a Time in the West, Tracy's father, Gabriel Frazetti, uh-huh. is you know, uh, Mr. Chuchu. Oh, right. Okay. I, I did not connect that at all. Yeah. Did, did we, and we did mention that it wasn't a box office dud mm-hmm. by any means, but it seems because in, in terms of the franchise, uh, it's kind of like, you know, I think for the longest time, here's a good example. Here's a good metaphor or analogy is uh, everybody talks about Iron, uh, Iron Man 2 or Thor 2 mm-hmm. and compared to the MCU movies. I guess OHMSS was that <laughs> in terms of the franchise. I guess. I think it'd be more, this, it, but it's the one that secretly was really good that everyone shit on. Yes. That, that's the problem. Yeah. What, what's your, what's your, no, what's, what's your analog for that? Well, no, I, that's, a, I don't know. That's a good, that's a good question. I know there's one on tip of my tongue. Anyway. But, uh, but yeah, the, uh, there's so much more about, I mean, the, the, the cinematography, uh, is... here's the thing I want to, I do want to bring this up. Um, it, it is a beautiful movie. I do not deny that. And, but a lot of people say it's the most beautiful Bond film. And You Only Live Twice was shot by Freddie Francis. He was <laughs> shot by freaking David Lean cinematographer. You can't say like the movie after David Lean cinematographer. It is a, but it is a beautiful movie. And there's really there's some weird, cho- weird choices that I'll, I think add to the film, like that laboratory, Blofeld's look, that purple light. And you, it just, it, it also, you got, you're almost in a horror film. You know, just, you know, well, there, there's also a filming trend that I noticed more when I watched like, our prisoner episode was apropos of it. A Star Trek was where like everyone was trying to show off color TV. So like they had the multicolored sets and like whenever you have those surreal shots of um, uh, whenever Blowfield plays the tape to get everyone to sleep and you have that shot of Lazenby where you can see the ceiling behind it and it's multicolored behind that. Like it's like, are they, sh- this is film and you don't need to show off color TV. Yeah. But, but that was the, that was a, a filmmaking. But, but I liked it. I thought they added to the weirdness and uniqueness. Would, and, definitely history, did, definitely. and then like, Oh, when, by the way, speaking of that bed, uh, him in this bedroom, uh, remember that and again, uh, Hunt's pulling out all the tricks. There's a slow motion gets knocked out. Yes. That, that slow motion move. That's wonderful. And then like, here's another good thing about, I don't know if this is, this would not be in the screenplay, but this is probably Peter Hunt. Tell, I, I'm telling Lazenby to do this. Remember when the, the scientist throws the, the flask and it's like, it, it's acid? Some kind of weird, uh, dangerous acid and, and, and it melts? No, and, and then, I don't run that part. And Lazenby runs by it and looks at it and does a double take on it. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, just the little touches like that. And I think, right. to me, that's, again, I think a lot of times why we love films, the films that really stick with us have the little touches, the little scenes that stay with you. Yeah, um, I, it's, um, this is chock full of them, and just uh, you know, and I think no the things that work yeah. usually, and it's like it's usually stuff that you can't script. You come up on the day, it's an idea, and it works. So, right. um, I do want to point out, continuing on North by Northwest mentions, whenever uh, Tracy gets the ring, that shot kind of reminded me of the uh, transition at the end of North by Northwest, whenever they pull him off the mountain. Right, right. Um, so, I mean, we've already mentioned what happens at the end of. Uh, how it ends so oh well majesty of service or no yes honor majesty yeah, service because well, I, I really want to go in the parallels between the two yes let's go yeah sure we don't we, we you know at, 
the uh I, I should also mention, you know, my introduction to the Honor Our Majesty's Secret Service ending was uh, Austin Powers making fun of it. Oh, really? They did, they did make fun? Uh, I, can't, I can't remember that. Um, but they made fun of it in an oblique way where it's like not emotional or mm. I, I forget, it's it's someone getting shot while driving on a mountain. Oh, we should mention that the wedding sequence is wonderful, too, because you got, you know, all uh, M talking to Money Penny's reaction. Money Penny, uh, she throws the hat to her and, and he and then and of course, the Q says he never takes care of his property. Mm-hmm. And then uh, and then Bond says, I have all the gadgets. Uh, I don't need any gadgets from you, uh, Q, this time around. And then uh, M just talking shop with uh, Tracy's father. Mm-hmm. That was good because Bond was off the grid with Tracy's father when they attacked his Gloria. Mm-hmm, right, was, right. So, and so M doesn't know that Tracy's father is. This... No, no, they do. They're, they 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 were very aware of who each other are. Okay. That's the beauty of it. That it's like you know Doctor Doom and Reed Richards talking together or something. You know, I mean, yeah, uh, really nice little touch there. And then they drive off in the DB, in the Aston Martin. And, uh, of course, uh, Blofeld is driving the car. It's really Irma Bunt mm-hmm. that does yeah. the shooting. Because Blofeld's injured. Yeah, he's in a neck brace with a bobsled sequence. So, uh, and shoots him. And, and before that, you know, James says, oh, we have all the time in the world. And then mm-hmm. Tracy dies. And, like, and I think George just pulled it off perfectly. You and, do? Oh, yeah. I think it was, I think he did a great job the, holding her. And There's says, a part of me that feels a little stiff on it. But uh, but, but you know what it is, is uh, Peter Hunt flat out said uh, they did different takes. And one of the takes he cried. And then another he didn't. And they kept it because they were like, yeah, Bond doesn't cry. And that that seems like bullshit to yeah. me. Yeah. And then I, I also read just this morning that he, that uh, apparently he, I don't know if this is true or not. He kept them in his trailer and got them all kind of worked up. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and so, and for so you can have some emotional intensity at that scene when it's shot. You purposely uh, said, "Stay in your trailer, and don't get out," or something like that. Lazenby uh, at one point said uh, Peter Hunt didn't talk to him after the first day or something. I, that sounds. Oh, like uh, there's all kinds of things about you know uh, Donna Reed giving him gar- had garlic in her breath, and, and when they did a kissing scene, and, uh, <laughs> and they would actually made cart- editorial cartoons in the in the UK press. Oh at the man, time. Uh, yeah, it, yeah. It was, print the legend, right? So, but, but, but let me just one thing about that sequence critically. Another, you know, as much as I love the film, the that little bit of the oh, have, you you said this when after we finished No Time to Die. Yeah, when I was have, asking you about right. We have the little bit of the uh, we have all the time in the world plays a little bit, but I think they were so scared uh, to end on such a sad, you know, emotional note. They just jam, then they go quickly to the James Bond theme, and it just ruins the emotional spell of that sequence. I almost wish I could go. I, if I if I would do my old edit cut, I would get rid of that and just let it play out uh, in silence but, or something, right? But they want or the the music we have all the time in the world. But it just they they I think the sauce and broccoli that by this time they knew well we got to let people know we're going to be back. So we just you know I forgot does the movie end, but diamonds or James Bond will be back and diamonds are forever. Think, or just or just diamond James Bond will be back. I wouldn't say it said diamonds, but I may be wrong. But I think it uh, it did uh, originally. I've had this theory for a long time, but I've heard, I hate to say it. I like, I, I used to have more examples of it that made this theory really great. But, uh, th- one of the reasons that in genre, uh, movies are just in genre storytelling that certain best ofs have been elevated to that point. In particular, I'm thinking of this on our magic secret service and in star Trek, the original star Trek, the reason people say city on the edge of forever is the best episode from that. And at both of those end of the episode, the main Lothario character finds the love of his life dead. That's a good point. Very, that's that's true. So, no time to die. I was I 
Look, I'm not going to say it's a perfect movie. I still think Skyfall is a better movie. I'm questioning whether um, Casino Royale is the better movie. I still think I'm giving No Time to Die. I need to see it again. I think it's... It is... Carrie Fukunaga was a great choice. He's the first American director to direct a Bond movie. Um, The thing going into all Bond movies, the reason half the Bond Bond movies suck and half of them are amazing... It's this tension going to every single one, mainly around the producers, where it's always they go in with this script that seems to be changing all the time. And you never know if this is going to be in an amazing movie or a movie that doesn't pass the smell test of logic. And so going into this, there were some elements of it that are a little overridden. I, I think Bond saying I love you a few, maybe a few too many times. But all that being said, I... I think this is, I, I don't know if it's just because it's a more modern movie. I think it's the most emotional Bond movie. Yeah, and of course, it had me right off the top when he says, you know, we have all the time in the world and the music starts to play. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, to reference that Bond film gets, you know, to me, my mind. Uh, it didn't really blow me that much because I thought the last film was referencing it so much. Mm, yeah, but not but not as overt, I guess. Uh, but then it pays off. It's good. It, that's good writing because, like, the end of the movie reference. Let's just okay. I'm just gonna fucking say it. Yeah. Bond dies. Yes. Bond dies, and uh, they play again with um, him saying the only time uh, we have all the time in the world. And also continuing the spoilers, the thing that I don't think they never did in the book. This in the books, Bond has a child. Yes. But they they do the five years later at a certain point in the movie and uh, Bond discover and it's funny because right away they address it and she says that's not your kid even though the kid they asked has exactly Daniel Craig's eyes right and then they write it in they comment on it multiple times but oh. then you realize nope she was just saying that and everyone knows it was a it was an obvious lie yeah it's a, it's such a it's such a strange because the the book in this with OHMSS in a weird way because like. The, the, the two different series don't really, you know, match up. In a they way. don't. But, and all which is that's, you know, the wife, the woman dies and Bond stays alive. Right. And so now we got the opposite where the woman is alive. You know, I, I made a really shitty uh, joke that neither you or t- we watched this with your uh, our, our friend Todd Fox. Um, I said, oh, it's like uh, Star Trek Into Darkness where uh, they re- Star Trek Into Darkness riffs on Wrath of Khan, only Kirk dies. And then Kirk comes back to life five minutes later, so it's stupid. <laughs> On top of the fact that, like, they redo the dialogue and the dialogue does not work. This is where they riff on the dialogue. It's just James Bond being the, like, model of um, misogyny for a lot of people for, for years. Isn't it the new, there's some new headlines now on Facebook or something? Of this being the, the woke Bond. Well, they're, 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 the, the previous, they're, all bombs are rapey. Or they're using the word rapey. Vukanaga said yeah. use that word. He yeah. did. Um, I forget which one. He, I think I had Thunderball. I forget which one he referenced. But um, also the, the the idea of a Bond girl in this one is like it goes out the window, but for a reason because one Bond has a relationship that like post Vesper Lynn that like is just from the other movies and like uh, Ana de Aramis, her her Bond girl in this is so great, but it's basically a glorified cameo. Yeah, two two good, two interesting uh, Bond women uh, in terms of. The, the well, men. then you have another 007. Seven, yes, right. And she's she was wonderful too. She was really good. Yeah. Uh, what about? Uh, and then we also have, uh, Felix Leiter dying. But how many times has Felix Leiter died in a Bond movie? Really. <laughs> but this one specifically references the way Vesper died in some ways. Underwater. Yeah, the way he has to let it go in the water and. I just thought that, I thought that was a nice I, little I touch. I didn't notice that. Um, but uh, finishing what I was saying with the um, 
uh, Bond being kind of the model of misogyny, like the fact that you, you just, you aren't expecting a Bond movie to end with Bond dying, even though supposedly that's the reason Danny Boyle got fired off of doing this. Was yeah. he wanted to, And Daniel Craig really wanted to kill off Bond too. Um, so if you don't assume that's going to happen, it's just, it was, it was so unforeseen, but kind of touching that Bond then says that line to his surviving baby mama and his daughter. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then the last shot of the last scene in the movie of them driving off into the mountains, mm. but it's just mother and daughter. Right, right. And then she says, I want to tell you about a man named Bond, James Bond. <laughs> we'll get teary eyed. Right. Um, right. Um, but, um, interesting. I also think that I, you know, I went into this, I saw the trailers and I'm thinking, uh, you know, I had that same reaction. I was just like, yeah, you know, what more can you do with action scenes in a, in a Bond film? You know, uh, you know, with, I guess with the MCU movies, you get, you got weird powers that you can do something maybe new with the CGI effect. I guess, also, I guess that's the appeal of the Fast and Furious. I don't know. I haven't seen a Fast and Furious. I do film. think one of the things the Bond movies over the years has done really good at is it is maintained, especially as we get more green screen stuff. Bond movies, you really do have the feeling. No, they, they flew the entire production to jet set across the world. Right. And, and, and a lot of it's in camera as much as they can do it. Yeah. But I, so I'm just saying, uh, you know, and I, now, I mean, I guess, I don't know. I, I have to, it's going to, the test will be seeing it again, which I'm really looking forward to. Same here. But I'm just thinking, you know, I think the emotional resonance and the character, the scripting for the characters made me appreciate the action scenes, maybe. I don't know. But, yeah. Uh, better if I had, if it just been another, you know, Bond going around and not, you know, not without Madeline or something. I don't know. Is this, and then he go, and he actually goes to Vesper's, uh, uh, the cemetery where Vesper was buried, which, as I mentioned earlier, came from Honor Majesty's Secret yeah. Service. But it's a plot point in this. <laughs> yeah. It's a massive plot point. And I can't, uh, I can't emphasize. I don't know what prompted me, but I did, I watched all four, the previous four, back to back, and I was just amazed how tightly constructed. They're almost like MCU tightly constructed. Um, so this, that's another reason that I almost want a clean slate. This is a five-film cycle that's so tight. Mm. Uh, even the you know Quantum of Solace that everybody hates, but it's still got interest. It has. I, I, I probably shouldn't have been so mean to Spectre since uh, most of my ire should really be <laughs> on for Quantum of Solace. But uh, there's so much uh, uh, continuity in all of them, and uh, it's just really amazing. I, I really I'm so happy to see such a them play off that. That I wish it was it would just stay that way. Yeah. Know? I'm impressed by how emotional the movie is. The reason I still think Skyfall is is my is my morning star of Bond movies is I, that was the one where I felt like they got thematic resonance. Like to me, the high point of of, of Skyfall is the Tennyson quote when 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 Junie Dinch starts doing uh, Ulysses and does the poem over Bond fighting. Like there's this vibe that um, Bond should be about. I don't know, British stoicism in its own way, <laughs> yeah. but and perseverance. Um, and on top of the fact of like its history with the way it treated women, it's I, like these ideas of like Bond, especially Roger Moore Bond for me, like really perpetuates a lot of, to, to use the overused word, toxic masculinity or the idea of it. And I like the idea that Bond 
going back to Alan Moore's point of uh, contemporary women, that this is not something to, to admire, that Bond is trying to overcome this or even realize this about himself, or that all male model modes, this is something to overcome. Right. And, you know, uh, we, know we just saw uh, John LeCar just passed away not too long ago. And, mm. and uh, we, we, you know, the Bond, especially the films, just got so over the top and so, uh, uh, so uh, fantasized the, the secret agent world. They keep coming back to being grounded for over a few years. Right. Uh, that that uh, Bond is this way because the secret agent world is a dirty business. You know, and he's and he and he has to do things that we nobody would want to do or want to do. The shadows, <laughs> as Judy Dench says. So, uh, but yeah, but then you know that's that can be problematic sometimes in, the, in some of the PC world we live in. I think wasn't it? Um, wasn't David Denby had the? I didn't read it. I just saw his headline. He kind of had the snide like, uh, "I want, I don't want a, a dour bond for after uh, the pandemic." Um, mm. I get I get that sentiment a little bit, but I want to point out that's why a movie like Honor Majesty's Secret Service, Bond also can be about the top of the line, the state of the art of filmmaking too. Yeah, like what money can do, the action thrills you can get. What about the weirdness of the that they were playing with bacteria and? Uh, oh, I was going to point that out too. too. Yeah, because because yeah. the Angels of Death basically are. Kind of in No Time to Die, but not really. But that, but they're spreading the yeah. That's a clear well. Problem. And the film was done before the pandemic hit. That's what's really. Bizarre. I was watching this and kept thinking, like, man, if this is like watching a school shooting movie right before Columbine. Ooh, ooh. I'm yeah. surprised. Like, I get, I get, I get what they pushed, and you know, part. I said this last week. Um, no Time to Die is the first time I've been in a theater. I'm like, okay, I think I finally think movies are back. Like this is this is a legitimately. I'm not cheerleading. I'm want, wanting this movie to be good just because I'm wanting things to go back to normal and, and being like taken away with a story. I'm not putting effort into liking this movie. I genuinely like this movie, and I'm just really curious because you know they they, they when a hero dies at the end, mo- that kind of that's you lose a percentage of box office. There's a, there's like, a giant part of me that thinks that it's um it's like a I said this to you guys after the movie it it's like a villain dying at the end of a movie who's going to appear in the next movie yeah. un- unharmed. It does say James Bond will, will return. It ends with James Bond will return. Uh, so hopefully everybody will just you know you know I think we're if we've advanced since only mentioned Secret Service uh in terms of audience they they people know this now so hopefully. It won't hurt it, and then, uh, but I'm really what really intrigues me is all the uh, just general audience movie going people, or just you know the casual Bond fans. Will they? they will they? I, the OHMSS references just go right over them. You know, uh, people won't catch that. I think it's that's what's great about the movie is they totally could, but it's still emotionally. Works. No, no, it works. Yeah, that's the one. That's the beauty of it. But it, boy, does it add an extra layer when you're if you're a Bond fan. Or you you know, or you're a fan of that film. Boy, uh-huh. it really does a number on you. You know, I, I hate to say it, I'm in the exact opposite camp with you. I think that I don't want them to reboot. I I, I you I want you, you want Ray Fiennes to come back and 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 Naomi kinda. Harris. And I I love Winshaw's cue. What a wonderful cue. Yeah. Uh, I, I I thought they were going in a good direction. Um, there's certain amount need for reinvention. A certain amount. 
Maybe right. the, maybe uh, his cousin Jimmy Bond can show up. Or, hey, I'm Jimmy Bond. Does, you remember me from the fifties? Or does uh, or well, that's you know. But Woody Allen was his cousin. Uh, Woody Allen. Oh was God! Jimmy Bond. Remember uh, Jimmy Bond? I didn't realize right. Hoagie Carmichael was uh, Ian Fleming's idea for oh, right. Oh. And then what about or does Daniel Craig have a brother? Because you know Neil Connery did a, a, a Bond film. Uh, well, you, you don't. Know, do you know anything about Neil Connery's film? No. Yeah, Sean's real life brother, Neil Connery. Kind of looks like Sean. Uh, they're not much. They're not that big an age difference. They actually an Italian company got him to play a film called Operation Kid. Bro- well, that's one of the titles, Operation Kid Brother. He's a doctor. Apparently, the real gene, the real. They don't say his name, but the the agent they need can't do it, so they go get his brother, who's a doctor, and is and Neil and he's Neil Connery, and Bernard Lee and Lois Maxwell, Burn uh, M and Money Penny show up in the film. The guy who played Largo, Alfredo uh, uh, Celli. And Thunderball, he's in the film, and the girl from Professional Love's in the film. Ain't it more Coney music? And more Coney did music for it. Oh yeah, yeah. There's all kinds of uh, yeah. Well, Coney did a lot of music that we don't, uh, nobody knows about. All right, I'm, I, I forgot before the last he, few years when he was not doing much of anything. No, well, he or it, it was it was such a it was such a treat to get a score from him. If you only know his music from American films, you don't know how much he's done over in Europe. Right. Tons and tons of stuff. But anyway, yeah. So they could get Daniel Craig's brother, and, and, and he think, can be Jim's. He can. Uh, show I think up. there's something kind of reverse ending after us talking about the emotional highs, the <laughs> legacy of Bond. That's how we end everything. Yeah, and and both Sean and Neil passed away within the last a couple of years, last year or so. So, uh, you know, did you see the Jean-Paul Bamondo funeral footage? No. Uh, they had a state funeral for him. I think I think I heard that was that. He, yeah, I'd heard about it. it, it. You, need to, you need to watch the video. It'll move you to tears. And they played Morricone's one of Morricone's theme from one of Bomondo's films. Oh, wow. And it's just amazing. And I thought, you know, Sean Connery should have had a state funeral. If Clint Eastwood dies, they should have. That's why you heard about it because you said Sean Connery should have had a state funeral. Yeah, and... it's, it's like you know, yeah, look how look how France treats their artists. You're, I think this is Ted wants his favorite people <laughs> to have a state funeral. <laughs> So, uh, you know, well, you know, Meryl Streep, they should get one maybe, uh, I don't know, De Niro. I think well, the area I want to end on is if you want, if you have some time, I think it's only a five minute video. One of my favorite, this was a post Skyfall video. It's got spoilers for Skyfall in it, but go on YouTube and look up 50th Bond anniversary and someone edited together like a five minute clip of all the Bonds. Um, and it almost is like if it's a single story. Because one of my uh, former guests on the show, one of my closest friends, Dustin Lavelle, I don't know if to this day he's seen a single Bond movie. And every time I, I recommend one to him, he's like, do I have to watch all the other ones before I see this one? <laughs> this video, look it up, 50th anniversary Bond, kind of treats all of it as if Bond's being told in one story. And it is, it, uh, it, it gets me every time. Fascinating. Yeah, I... I can't, you know, uh, for those, if anybody listening hasn't watched Honor Match Secret Service, do so. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised how uh, it holds up. And it's got, it's just so, there's just not, not just the trivia Easter egg stuff in it, but just the, uh, you know, Emma, uh, Donna Rigg, you know, she's just, she's, what a great actress. She's a yeah. Shakespearean actress. And just, I mean, half the reason they said they got her was because if Lazenby's doing his first on-screen like lead on role, they need to have an actress great to to, to prop him. Right, and the and John Barry is cooking uh, uh, with the great music. The, the Louis Armstrong, when the, this is near his death, and he's in, he does a wonderful job singing. In fact, a- ironically, you get to hear the entire song in No Time to Die, as opposed to Under Magic Secret Service. That's where and No Time to Die really clicks in because uh, that song. I, 
to hear that. Uh, it, it's 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 such a crazy great move, but it's the credits song and the credits song, and they and to hear it in, to the IMAX system, uh, it's just like oh, so beautiful. A- after that last scene, yeah, yeah, you can understand why you were a mess, and I oh. was I was crying. I was I was close. using I was using my uh, my uh, mask, my ma- my pandemic mask as a handkerchief because I was just like I I was a boy, yeah. yeah, I was embarrassing myself. Both these movies are great. Yes. I I think. Um, it's it's nice to be have a good Bond movie in the world. Yes, a new one. Good, good stuff. Yeah. And uh, uh, I you know we could even keep on rambling. I have I, once I watched one of the viewings of uh, on a Majesty's Service. I sat there and I jotted down notes for everything that went by. Uh, you couldn't even do a proper audio commentary because you know I would want to pause it, say look at this, and pause it again, look at this, pause it. You know, there's just so much going on in that film, and I'm looking forward to the second because of the Easter eggs. You mean yes, Easter eggs and just the the editing. The cinematography, the music, everything. There's I, there's so much to talk about in that film. Finishing up off of the Soderbergh said it's the most cinematically rich one. It's the one he wants to steal from more than anything else. Uh, I love I, the more, you know, Soderbergh, you know, he, he, we're on the right same page. He loves Lester. He loves OHMSS. What can I say? Oh, no. I think, I think that's actually our time. Now that Mitch knows <laughs> that's our time to wind down. So oh, yeah. uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, you, this is a long episode, but you have, but you have all the time in the world. Thank you, Ted. I was trying to set you up for it. You did it. Thank you.